We want to welcome each and every one of you here today. As we have started last week on our series in the book of Acts, it's all about the foundation of the church last week, and today is on the birth of the church. What do you think about when you think about church? I can get a lot of different responses as I give a poll out in the community. When some people think of a church, they think of a building. Others think of a program. Some may think of priests or pastors. Some people think of a church, they think of a gathering of people uh, at a specific time or place. What is it when you think of a church? Do you think of a program? Do you think of a retreat area? What is it in your definition? So today we want to look at the birth of a church and exactly what characterized that church. We look in the first chapter of Acts and the first 15 verses. There are things that these disciples believed, embraced, placed their life on that became definitive of what the church really is. First of all, we recognize that they believed in Jesus. Jesus is absolutely the focus of all that we say and do. Jesus is our focus when we take our eyes off of him. We have learned how that degrades our walk with him. We keep our eyes on Jesus. We keep our dimension of faith. We keep our walk straight with him. We keep our lives in line with God's purpose for our lives. And so they believed in Jesus. They believed in his resurrection. Verse 3 says, After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and women and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. Many infallible proofs, convincing proofs. For six weeks, 40 days, Jesus walked and talked with his disciples. He ate with them. He showed himself alive to them. He let them feel that he was substance, that he was flesh and bones, that he was in this resurrection body of his. And so we recognize the fact that they believed in his resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is absolutely foundational to the church. It is pivotal. If Jesus had not been uh, resurrected, then we would simply have a religious pursuit alongside with all these other religious pursuits. We would have a memorial tomb. We would have uh, pilgrimages to these this memorial tomb. It would be uh, something that we could not claim anything greater than these other religious pursuits. But we have an empty tomb. The leader of Christianity is not dead. He's alive. He showed himself alive, infallibly showing himself alive through many proofs after staying with these disciples for some six weeks. And then they not only believed in Jesus, but they believed in Jesus' kingdom. Verses 3 through 6 says that after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many in proof that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion when he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem. Wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? You see, it was in 63 B.C. 
when the military leader Pompey uh, rode into Jerusalem and captured this particular city. And at that point, the Roman Empire set up their own post there in Israel. Pompey went into the Temple of Jerusalem, went into the Holy of Holies, desecrating it there, and declared it a Roman territory. Since that time in 63 B.C., almost 100 years before this particular issue, we see where the disciples still, along with the rest of all of Israel, were still looking to see the restoration of the throne of David, the kingdom of Israel being restored in its physical properties in the nation of Israel, and they would therefore rid them, their country of Roman occupation. And Jesus told them, it's not at this time. This is not my kingdom. This kingdom is a reign of God where God reigns in the hearts of all believers worldwide. It's not just local. It's not just a one spot geographically. It's not just a nation. It is all people, men, women, children, young and old, of whatever ethnic background they may find, whatever cultural experience they may have. It's a kingdom that reigns in the hearts of men and women everywhere. And this kingdom is so pervasive, no matter how much the government tries to oppress it, it's going to spread. It is said the, the, the church has always been fed by the blood of its martyrs. And so they believed in the kingdom of, of God. And Jesus clarified it right prior to his ascension into heaven. It's not of this world. Don't look for any earthly throne. Don't look for political power. Don't place your fortunes in those arenas as well. My kingdom, Jesus said, is not of this world. Thirdly, they believed in the power of the Holy Spirit, verses 4 through 8. He says, you will, John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then they said, "Are you at this time are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Jesus said in verse 7, It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea, in all Samaria, and until the ends of this earth. Well, they believed not only in the Holy Spirit, but they believed in His power. You see, when Jesus came for for that 40-day period of time, in addition to the three years that He was with these apostles, He tried to help them understand that what I'm not giving you is a program. I'm not giving you a church building. I'm not giving you a religious pursuit. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit, who is one of the Trinity. And this Holy Spirit will give you the power that you need to address every issue that comes into your life. The Holy Spirit will be your teacher. He'll be your admonisher. He'll be your exhorter. He'll be the one that will clarify Scripture to you. He'll be the one to clarify God's will ultimately in your life. And He will give you that power to live in a way that brings him glory. So you see, they believed in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
It's not for you to know the times. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will receive power, Jesus said. That power, that word for power is the Greek word dunamis. It's that word that dynamite actually comes from. It is that kind of explosive power. If you have trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit has been given to you. We're going to talk more about that next Sunday. But the Holy Spirit has been given to you. He not only resides with you, but resides in you. So the Holy Spirit is operative to all believers of Jesus Christ. And it is that, that power that the early church is going to see presented in the days yet to follow Jesus' ascension into heaven. And so they believed in the Holy Spirit. They had seen it at work. They had seen Him at work in the lives, uh, in their own lives, and in the life of, of their only Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, they believed in the second coming. You look at verse 9 through 11, and I kind of get a kick out of this, and, and I actually feel like I would be the same type of person these disciples were at this moment. Now keep in mind, here Jesus was with them for some six weeks after the resurrection, explaining to them, you're it. You're all I've got. You're, you are plan A, and there is no plan B. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus said, All power in heaven and on earth is given unto me. Therefore go, and I'm giving that power to you. And how is that? It's in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that comes into your life when you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior becomes operative and allows us as the church to perform the things that bring God the greatest glory. He said this. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. And a cloud hid them or hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. These would be angelic presence. This would be two men, messengers sent by God to clarify what these disciples had just experienced. And so these angels said, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking up into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So they believed in the second coming. We Christians know that Jesus is coming again. We don't know the time. Jesus has already said no one knows the time or the hour. It's not for us to prophesy about the exact time and location that, and dates and things of that nature. We are not as a church here to prophesy but to proclaim his second coming, and that is an extremely important uh, distinction. We're not into predictions, we're into proclamation. And so as a church, we are proclaiming Jesus' return whenever that's going to be. One thing we do know that we are assured of is that we're closer to the second coming than we've ever been in all of history. And so Jesus will come at a time, the Bible says, Jesus said that we're not, we're, a lot of people are not prepared. Maybe it'll be on a Sunday morning. Maybe it'll be on a Saturday evening. I don't know. I just know that when he comes, we have been given the 
responsibility of preparing our hearts and minds and souls for Jesus' ultimate return. The men of Galilee, can you just picture this, this scene where these apostles have just been given that final instruction by Jesus? And now all of a sudden Jesus says, and that's it. And he ascends into heaven and he's no more. And they're all staring up into heaven. They don't see him anymore, but they're just looking at blue sky. Can you imagine? Their jaws have dropped. This same Jesus, these angels said, that came to you in the clouds, that you see depart in the clouds, who came to you in, in form of man, will come to you again as the Savior of the world. Wow. So they're staring. What do you think they're thinking? I think there's a lot of thoughts running through those heads. I believe they were thinking, that's it. Now it's final. They go back another 40 days, another six weeks prior to that when Jesus was crucified, and they could only think about the fact that all of their hopes, dreams, and aspirations for the kingdom of Israel were dashed. Jesus was crucified. He was declared dead. He was placed in a tomb. The stone rolled over the tomb. That was it. That was the finality of the leader of their cause. And now, after 40 days of showing himself alive to them, they're looking into heaven. They're watching him ascend, and their jaws are open. Their minds are are racing with the the news that he's no longer going to be with us. But he told us to go to Jerusalem and wait. Wait for the gift that the Father would give each and every one of them. So they believed in the second coming. You and I as believers believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in his resurrection. We believe in the kingdom of God that reigns in the hearts of men and women everywhere. We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's operative work in our lives as believers of Christ. And we believe in the second coming. We know that this is not it. We know that this life is not all there is. We know that there's life after life. We know that that life has been guaranteed to us through the resurrection. We know that that eye has not seen, ear has not heard. It hadn't even entered into the heart of mankind, the things that God has prepared for those of us that love him. We know that. And so that belief propels the church to be the church. We are are in the business, the ministry, the the proper way of putting the church is in the ministry of proclamation. There is no plan B. Jesus said, you're my hands, you're my feet, you're my mouthpiece. I leave this with you. Wouldn't it have been neat if Jesus would have left a, a quarterly with us or something? If he would have left... Uh, a program that gives you steps one, two, three, four, five, and six. This is what I want you to do on a daily basis. Maybe this is what I want you to do on Monday or Wednesday. There's a lot of us that like lists. We like to see how God works through specific lists. Give me that checklist. This is what I want. This is how I know that I am being obedient to the Lord. But Jesus shared his life, his hopes, his dreams, his ministry with these disciples and left it with them. All power in heaven on earth is given unto me, he said. 
Therefore, go into all this world, into all this world. And what does that mean? Verse 8 says, you'll be my witnesses. By the way, the word martyr comes from the word for witness. The word in the Greek is martyros, but it comes from the word for witness. It means literally that a person, in order to be a witness of Jesus Christ, gives his life for that purpose. Now, not many of us in this viewing audience are going to give their lives physically for Jesus to be crucified, to be executed on behalf of Jesus. It's happening today worldwide, but in our listening audience, there's not going to be that many people to do that. But we do give our lives as a witness to bear for Jesus Christ. And so many people just assume that witnessing is a program. It's not. It has relationship. It is a blind man telling the Sanhedrin, I don't know. I can't explain it. All I know is I was blind, but now I see. It's the man with the withered hand that, that, that was healed by Jesus that simply says, I, I can't explain it. I just had faith in Jesus, and this is what happened to my life. Your life becomes a living witness, and it becomes a verbal witness when people ask, what is the reason for the joy in your life? What is the reason for the hope that you have? Why have you not been so overly distraught by all the events that have happened? Why are you not so overly concerned by the outbreak of coronavirus or whatever the disease du jour is? Why are you not so distraught? Well, you can point to the peace that passes all understanding that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. You can point to any number of things. But you ultimately give that witness about what Jesus has done in your life and how he continues to sustain you. That's what witness is. We believe in that. We know that we are plan A. There is no plan B. If our community, our Jerusalem, has not heard about Jesus, perhaps it's because we haven't said anything. If our Judea, the the region around us, has not heard about Jesus, perhaps it's because we haven't been faithful in proclaiming his good news. If our Samaria, those areas of the world that we thought we'd never go to, you know, sometimes we, we drag each other kicking and screaming into some kind of ministry project or some kind of ministry. And yet the reality is God's there. The Holy Spirit has preceded us. The Holy Spirit is there. He's there. And so all we need to do is just be faithful, be his witnesses through our living, through our lifestyle, through the way that we talk, the way that we act, what we do, where we go and through our verbal witnesses. You will be my witnesses. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, there's no, there's no option. It did, it's not there for us to debate. It's not there for us to determine how it might happen. It just becomes a lifestyle. It becomes a, a matter that becomes second nature, actually first nature to all of us. You're his witnesses. I'm his witness. We're witnesses of what Jesus has done in our lives. We're witnesses of what Jesus has done in the lives of others. I was on a webinar this past Friday, a few days ago, and I was listening to the testimonies of pastors from different parts of the world. God is moving in such a powerful, profound way. God is using this coronavirus, uh, the 
quarantine situations, the, the fact that we have stepped up and realized that the church is the church in the community. The church has left the building. We have been delegated. We have been uh, placed out into the communities for the purpose of God. We have been deployed. And this is exactly what God had intended to do. So often we think that the church is only the church when they're gathered in a specific building at a specific time, a specific location. The church, folks, has left the building. So take this responsibility seriously that God has placed on your shoulders. Now, they not only believed in Jesus, they believed in each other. Look at verses 12 through 15. They returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives. And a Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to a room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, Judas, son of James. They all joined together. They all joined together. They believed in each other. When given the opportunity, they met together. And they, we'll see later on, they met together on a daily basis. So, they enjoyed one another. They knew they didn't know no perfect person resided among them. That perfect person had just ascended into heaven. They, these were a different lot of people. You've got Simon the Zealot, who was who the Zealots were those rebel, radical people who literally would uh, kill Roman centurions because they believed in the autonomy of Israel. Simon the Zealot was one of these terrorists, if you will. And then you've got the fishermen, and you've got Nathaniel, you've got all of these other, they were people like you and me. They enjoyed one another. Didn't always agree with each other, discussed the matter, but they enjoyed each other just as you and I do. I love these videos of the people welcoming you and looking forward to seeing you back and I do too it's a different experience to preach or teach to an empty building but I'm telling you I'm looking forward to the time that we gather but in the meantime whoever I'm with I enjoy their presence I enjoy the fact that they know Jesus and we have commonality well look at the the third thing they believe in prayer and fellowship Verse 14 continues by saying, they all join together constantly in prayer. A praying church reflects the spiritual atmosphere or the spiritual temperature of a church. We need to be a church of prayer. So many of you, as I've talked to you, have been praying for our granddaughter. And I thank you so much for that. I know that you're a praying church. I know that you pray as we send out prayer requests I know that you pray because I hear you ask me about the results of these prayers. Can you give me an update, you will ask. And I'll be more than happy to if I know it. And I know you're praying for your neighbors. I know you're praying for your family. I know you're praying for your church family. We need to be a church that prays without ceasing. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, pray. Lift that person up in prayer. We've got a lot of people around us that are hurting physically, emotionally, spiritually. We have these people that we need to be in prayer for. We need to be in prayer for our leadership. 
not only from the nation, but here in the church. We need to pray for me and for all the others who are in leadership positions. We need to pray for our teachers here, our Bible teachers as well. There's a long list of prayer. Don't ever deny the importance of prayer. This cannot come but by prayer, Jesus said. So pray and then fellowship. Notice they met along in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Now remember, his brothers wanted nothing to do with him in his lifetime until the resurrection. And then his brothers became ardent, active followers of Jesus as their Savior. There were the women. So this was a fellowship that didn't worry about the class system. They didn't worry about who was wealthy among them, who was poor among them. They didn't worry about their livelihood. They didn't worry about their professions. They didn't worry about whether they were male or female, old or young. They didn't worry about any of that. And Pentecost was going to be absolutely the the zenith of what God expects for his eternal family to be. And so here they believed not only in each other, but they believed in prayer and with fellowship. You see, the thing that I want to leave with you today is a church that's not in the will of God talks a lot about itself. The church in 21st century America is a carnal church to that extent. That means that they are a church that talks a lot about its programs, its buildings, the things, its, its members, and we become more of a club than we are a church. A true church doesn't talk about itself. A true church talks about Jesus. This was the commonality here in the early church. They didn't have buildings. They didn't have programs. They didn't have materials, but they had Jesus. And they talked about their relationship with Jesus. They talked about what Jesus had told them. They talked about the experiences with Jesus, his healings, his words, his ministry, his life. They talked about Jesus. Now, we have the written report of that in the Scripture. So let's be intentional, folks, about talking about Jesus. We love Trinity Baptist Church, but, but there are other gatherings of Christians, and there are other Christians who cannot, for some reason, be gathered anywhere. Our point is the emphasis now and forever is always on Jesus Christ. Talk about Jesus Christ. That's what they talked about. They talked, they all joined together constantly in prayer. And this is what they talked about. And Peter stood up among the believers at that time, numbering 120, saying, Brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judah. They talked about the Lord. So they believed in Jesus, they believed in each other, they believed in prayer and fellowship. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I pray that you'll open your heart to Him. A common prayer would simply be, Lord Jesus, I know that I've sinned, I've disobeyed you, I know that I have not been obedient to you. Lord, 
please forgive me in my disobedience. Come into my life and make me what you want me to be. And I want to thank you, Lord, for that. That simplicity. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord, the Scripture says, shall be saved. And so we're offering Jesus to you today. We're not promoting the church. We're not promoting our programs. We're not, we're, we are promoting our passion. And our passion is Jesus. So thank you for joining with us on this day. Let me have a word of prayer with you. Our most gracious Father, I just praise you for who you are and for what you're accomplishing here. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you for these who have made some kind of decision in their life. Lord Jesus, thank you for giving us your only begotten Son, Father, Jesus Christ, for his atoning sacrifice on that cross, for the fact that he presented himself alive after many infallible proofs for a period of 40 days, six weeks, Lord, that he would demonstrate himself, show himself alive, and that he would transmit, give his plan A to the disciples within that day. And, Lord, how it spread throughout this world. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for life abundant and eternal that we have in Jesus. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. I want to thank you all for listening. You have contact information uh, before you. Please call us. Let us know how we might be of assistance to you, to minister to you in some way. Just let us know what we can do as a church to assist you in your pilgrimage. May the Lord's richest blessings.